this morning, as we kind of settle in here, just take in how good this morning has been. Like, I could just be like, see ya, you all have been blessed. It's such a good morning. I am so happy. One, I was really happy leaving my house that the thermometer in my car said like 73 degrees. It got a little less as we got closer to the lake. <laughs> um, but I, this is my happy spot. I love summer, so I'm loving this. But just the goodness of this morning has been so amazing. Deb, thank you for those beautiful words. Kristen, thank you for that beautiful music. You are so talented, and it's, so, um, it's a blessing to be ushered into the presence of God by you. And Forrest, your words, um, like, honestly, I just sat there going, amen, amen. I don't have anything more to say, <laughs> but I'm going to try. <laughs> and this morning, we're going to find ourselves in the book of John, still the gospel of John. We're going to be in John 16 primarily. And we've been in this Gospel of John series for a while, and we've got a little bit more to go. Um, so bear with, as my son likes to say, bear with, Mom. Um, but this morning, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, as my good Pentecostal pastor used to say. He had a really, really, really deep voice that I can't do, but he kind of would scare you <laughs> with it when he talked about it. But I don't know about you, but I've had all sorts of images of what the Holy Ghost could be. From everything from the friendly ghost of Casper to the weird guys of Marley and Marley from the Christmas, um, Christmas Carol, Muppet Christmas Carol, um, to just a lot of other weird things. <laughs> and so growing up, I, I had all sorts of experiences that put all these kinds of pictures in my head. Sometimes I thought, oh man, the Holy Ghost, this is amazing. And I want more of it. And other times I was like, this is freaky, and I don't want any of it. And I kind of vacillated in between. Does anybody relate to something like that? Where you just go, what is this Holy Spirit? What is he talking about? And you know, um, I also kind of thought at times of the, the Holy Spirit is kind of like the weird uncle. <laughs> you know, the one that shows up, we give recognition to kind of a nod. And then we just kind of try to avoid. <laughs> and so any one of those could be um, where I was found. But this morning, I wonder if we can just take a deep breath and maybe hold in our hand a blank page, a blank page and allow God to rewrite the narrative of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you feel like, hey, I'm walking with the Holy Spirit and it's great and it's good. Well, then, you know, just sit and rejoice with us. <laughs> but I want us to just maybe look back and think about, what is this Holy Spirit? What is it that God was trying to convey, that Jesus was conveying in the words that we're reading? Who is he? Who is she? What is the Holy Spirit? And so let's start by centering back to kind of where we find ourselves in this story that we've been in now for a while. Remember that we're in a portion of scripture called the Farewell Discourse. Randy's been talking on it for the last few weeks. And Jesus is spending some of the last moments that he has with his disciples. They've just shared a meal, a Passover meal together. And now he's sharing with him like all the things he can think of that they need to hear before he's arrested, tried, and executed. And he knew all those things were coming. Jesus knew that, there, that he was going to be put before, he was going to be arrested and he was going to be on trial and that he would be going to the cross. He would be executed. 
But his disciples at this point don't know that, right? They're still not fully grasping what's happening and what's about to unfold. And so we find ourselves in the story this morning where um, Judas has left the building, right? There was a time of, of a meal and Jesus washing the feet. I actually spoke on that, like, it feels like months ago now, but it wasn't that long ago. And the feet have been washed, and Judas has left. His betrayal has been predicted, and he's left. And so Jesus starts this long conversation with his closest followers. And in this conversation, he starts talking about all sorts of things. But one thing that he brings up kind of over and over and over again is that this spirit is going to be coming. In John 14, he calls, in John 14, 16, he calls him the counselor. In verse 17, he calls him the spirit of truth. Um, and he promises in verse 18 not to leave them as orphans, but says, I'm coming to you in the spirit. You won't be left as orphans. When I go, someone else is going to come. And then in verse 26 of chapter 14, it says, but the counsel of the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name, and he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. And then in, verse, or in chapter 15, he goes on and he starts talking a lot about peace and he talks about vines and branches and about fruit and about love. Jesus talked an awful lot about love and how love would be so needed in this time. And in fact, the commands that Jesus gave all centered around love. This command I give you, love one another. Love God. Love your enemies. I command you to do this. So much about love. And I just think um, in that, and he was going, and you're not going to be able to do that on your own. You're going to need the Spirit. You're going to need this counselor. So let's try and figure out maybe a little bit of some of the stuff that he was trying to portray about this one called the Holy Spirit. We're going to start in verse um, 26 of chapter 15, and then we're going to go on into chapter 16 through verse 15 there. So in 1526, let me get my glasses on so I can see something. It says here, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do all these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you, you may remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. And can we just pause there for a moment? I can't help but thinking, what on earth were the disciples thinking at this moment? Here Jesus is letting the disciples know that things are going to get tough, right? He says to them things like, the religious leaders, remember those were the ones Jesus had the harshest words for? They're going to ban you from the synagogues. That means your worship places, you're not going to be allowed. <laughs> and why? Because they're not going to like that you talk about me and the things that I taught you. And in fact, some of those very religious leaders are going to want to kill you. I don't know about you, but that would be unsettling to me. <laughs> I would be thinking, what? 
in the world. And then Jesus goes on to say that he's telling them these things so that when, they'll, when they happen, that the disciples will remember that he told them. And I think the disciples, if I was one of them sitting in the room, I would have been going, wait a minute. What do you mean so we remember? Where are you going to be? Are you not going to be here with us, Jesus? Like, that's unsettling. It's kind of crazy to think about. And I think that they were maybe doing, do you guys, does anybody watch, maybe I shouldn't ask this in church, but does anybody watch Seth Meyer? And Amber says what? Have you ever seen her? She's this lady of color, and she's absolutely hilarious, and she'll, they'll do like all these different headlines of news stories and stuff, and she'll just sit there going, say what? Say what? And I would think that's kind of how I would be in the crowd that day. I'd be going, say what, Jesus? What are you talking about? You're, you're saying that we need to just remember these things? I'm not sure I'm understanding where you're going to be. And so let's keep reading and see if we can find out a little bit more. It says, starting in verse 5 of chapter 16, But now I'm going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is, your, it is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will no, no longer see me. And about judgment because the rule of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit comes, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take everything from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So, all I can say is, holy cow, <laughs> did he just say that he's going away? And not only that he's going away, but that it would actually be for their benefit, for our benefit. Can you imagine what the disciples would have been feeling? Jesus, we gave up everything to be with you. For three years, we've walked with you, we've talked with you, we've laughed with you, we've cried with you, we've seen you do crazy things. We gave you everything. And now you say you're going away? And he says in there that none of them were even asking where he was going. But instead, their hearts were just filled with sorrow. And honestly, you guys, I think I would have been the same way. They were worried about themselves. Going, Jesus, we can't do this without you. What does that mean that you're not going to be here with us? You're telling us you're leaving? And their hearts were filled with sorrow. And I can only imagine that my heart would have been filled with sorrow. So this morning... I want to think about and look at a little bit about this Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. 
And we're going to do a little crash course, a little history on the Holy Spirit 101, kind of. And honestly, it's really just an introduction. It's not a whole course. Because honestly, as I sat and even began to write things down to prepare for this talk this morning, I found myself saying, like, how? How would I ever think that I could teach everything about the Holy Spirit? How would anybody ever think that? Um, there's a lot of things <laughs> to talk about. And so we're going to touch on a few. And I've already told you that I've had some crazy ideas about the Holy Spirit. Some woo kind of thinking, as well as confusion, as well as no thank you. And honestly, you guys, I've had to unlearn some of the things that I thought about the Holy Spirit. I had to deconstruct, if you will. But I also had to relearn and rebuild and reconstruct. And so maybe that's what this morning is about. So as we do that, I'm going to have, um, I don't know if Montavious is here this morning, but if he was, I'd have him raise his hand because he loves these guys. We're going to watch a little video from the Bible Project and let them kind of introduce the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to build on that a little bit. So let's watch the video. is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but what is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy, how so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right, wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. <sighs> so you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, Ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. 
Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's spirit. And so today, the spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. So there you go. <laughs> Holy Spirit 101. But I love what, what that video says. Um, and just explaining a little bit, yes, about the Holy Spirit, but the fact that the creative work of the Holy Spirit didn't end at creation. And in fact, the Holy Spirit empowered people. And I loved how it talked about the artists and how it inspired people to continue on in this pattern of creativity and creation that started way back in Genesis. But even as we study something like this and as we look at a few characteristics of the Holy Spirit here in just a minute, I just want us to understand and remember that the, the knowing and the understanding and the learning of theology of anything, the Holy Spirit included, is not just so we can have it all figured out. In fact, you know, as I said, even as I thought about writing this sermon and putting things down on a page, I thought there is no way we can figure this all out. And it would be crazy for anyone to say that they've got it all figured out, especially me, and especially giving it to you in 30 to 40 minutes. But even as we understand more of the Spirit, what I hope we understand too is that God is so much bigger and so much more than anything that we could fully grasp. And it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29 that there are things about God that are mysterious and secret, things that we will never know about Him. But there are also things revealed and those belong to us. So this morning, let's look at some of those things that have been revealed and spend some time there being very, very aware that we're treading on holy ground. I'm very aware of that this morning. I will say, like, when I found out the passage that I was going to be talking on, I, I thought, I, I'm so not qualified. But I loved even what Forrest brought this morning. is like, none of us are, right? But we can do our best to understand and to grasp a little bit more. It's holy ground. So let's even as we learn, learn to worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I first want to start with that word that came up. And you've heard Randy say it before, ruach. You've heard that word? Everybody say it. It's really fun to say. Ruach. Did you feel like you were going to like spit on the person next to you? Because that's how you should feel when you're saying that. It's kind of a weird word, 
But it's one of those words that is so beautiful. And I think it's interesting because he ta they talked in the video about energy and wind. And, and you know, I think it's interesting that, that um, God didn't choose to call the Holy Spirit the Holy Wind. <laughs> that sounds kind of weird, actually. <laughs> or the Holy Breath. But he called it the Holy Spirit. But when we say that word ruach, that word is a feminine gendered word. It's a Hebrew word, as the video talked about, used in the Old Testament. And what I want to just say about it, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this word, but what I want to say about it is that the fact that it was a feminine-gendered word, and I believe the Aramaic word that Jesus would have used, as well as the Greek word, would have been gender-neutral words. But the fact is, is that the disciples would not have been wigged out about Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about this one that he was going to send, the Spirit of God, and using a female-gendered word. That wouldn't have, or even a neutral-gendered word. It wouldn't have freaked them out. They would have been used to that fact, studying as Jewish boys. And so when you hear us around here, every now and then, we'll refer to the Holy Spirit as she, or we'll, or we'll say her. And we're not doing that just to be trendy. We're not just doing that just to be like, oh, the new hip thing to do. But actually to realize that God is so other. He's, above, he's not human. <laughs> he's above humanity. He's more than that. He's all genders and no genders. Does that make sense? And so I just want us to get comfortable with that. And believe me, there, I know that it's, it's a shift. I know that there was a time in my life somebody probably would have called me a heretic for saying that. And it can feel awkward. But I think the more we begin to understand who God is, it's okay to feel awkward sometimes. It's okay to not fully grasp all of it, right? And so I just want us to get comfortable with that. The fact that God embodies both genders and no gender, and that God is not human. Okay? So as we start to look at some of his characteristics, I want to start out with the first one, being that the Holy Spirit is a person. Not a human, but a person. Meaning that we can have relationship with the Holy Spirit. When I think about the Holy Spirit, I think about the fact that I can call out to the Holy Spirit. I can pray to the Holy Spirit. I can talk with, I can walk with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, but not a human. See what I mean? Is it okay for us to start to think about like God in other ways? Because I think so often we take the best projection of ourselves or the best human we know, and we go, that's what God's like. That's what the Holy Spirit's like. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we do that. The Holy Spirit also has a mind. First Corinthians, no, sorry, Romans 8.27 says, He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And I don't know about you, but even this week as I was preparing for this and I read that, I had to just kind of stop kind of right where I was, and I was at the library. And everybody, you should all use your libraries because they're amazing places. But <laughs> I was sitting there in the library in my little study cubbyhole thing that I had borrowed, and I, sat, and I just found myself going, God, that's the best news. That is so comforting to know that I'm being interceded for according to the mind of the Spirit. Wow, 
Because I don't know about you, a lot of times I pray and I have no idea what to pray for. Even for myself, I can come with my checklist of things. But when I stop and I, I pause for a moment, I realize that the Spirit probably has more work to do in me than I'm bringing to Him. And I have to stop, but I found it so comforting, you guys, to think that, wow, I'm being prayed for according to the Spirit's mind. And then it also, um, I went on to find that the Holy Spirit has a will. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, The gifts of the Spirit are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As he wills. And that was an important reminder for me because I'm an Enneagram 8, and all of you know what that means because we get put in the stereotype of being the challenger and the control freak, <laughs> which sometimes is true. But I found myself going, God, I need to know that you're in control. I'm so grateful that the Spirit has a will and that the things that are done are according to his will, not mine. And it kind of put me on my knees going, thank you. I need to pray like Jesus prayed. Not my will, but yours be done. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit has emotion. And I don't know what's making this thing crack. Am I making anybody crazy with that? I'm sorry. Okay. Um, but the Holy Spirit has emotion. In Isaiah 63.10 and Ephesians 4.30, both those verses, an Old Testament one and a New Testament one, Tell us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And in our culture, having feelings or emotions is often equated with what? Weakness. Weakness. And I just want to say this morning that that is a lie. That is a lie, I believe, from the pit of hell, <laughs> to be honest. For us to be told that we can't have emotion, that we can't have feelings, they're unreliable, Maybe some of you have been told this in your walk with God. But you know what? God created feelings. <laughs> and like anything else, they can be used and they can be abused. Yes, that's true. But there's a lot of things that can be used and abused, not just feelings and emotions. The intent and the purpose of feelings, they came from God. And since he created emotions and feelings, why is it so difficult for us to believe that God has emotions and feelings? And I don't know about you, but I, I grew up thinking God is just this ogre in the sky, this Gandalf kind of person, sitting in the sky waiting for me to mess up, totally unfeeling, ready to squash me. Anybody else? I had to have some of that rewritten in my life because it wasn't healthy and it wasn't right. And God's Spirit, it says that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. And when I think about grief, when I think about people who have lost loved ones, when I think about people that are in difficult, difficult circumstances and I see this, this emotion of grief, to think about the fact that the Holy Spirit can be grieved It makes me, one, love him even more, but also to carry a weight of like, what am I doing? If, have I grieved the Holy Spirit? And now I lived in that to be an entanglement as well, where I would say, oh my gosh, I can't mess up because if I grieve the Holy Spirit, then I've done the worst thing in the world. 
But instead, I needed to realize that I'm going to have grief. I'm going to have emotions. And the Holy Spirit is so amazing that he can be right there with me in it. She can wrap her arms around me and speak wisdom and truth into my heart and into my ear as I listen for that still, small voice. And maybe this is why Jesus, you know, he gave all these commands about love, right? And I think he knew that the thing that breaks the heart of God more than anything is when there's breaches in relationship. Whether that's relationship between us and God, between me and God, between you and God, whether that's a breach in relationship between us and others, especially those that call themselves followers of Jesus, a breach in relationship between us and our enemies, whew, there's a hard one. And I think that as he gave those commands, he had in mind, but I'm sending a, a comforter, a counselor, a guide, an advocate to help you. Because love like that is supernatural. It's not something that we just muster up and we think, oh man, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, right? And my personality is one who's like, I can do this, I don't need any help, right? And the Holy Spirit says, no, <laughs> this is supernatural. If you're going to love the way that I want you to love, you're going to need my Holy Spirit. You're going to need some help. And that's why that verse in Ephesians 4 it tells us to get rid of all bitterness, to get rid of rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Have any of you felt those emotions? Yeah. And we need the Spirit to come, that we can submit those feelings to him, to her, to let the... <laughs> That was my watch. <laughs> to let the Holy Spirit have its way in our lives. So it's so important for us to grasp that this Holy Spirit is a person, a being, not a human, but a person with a mind, with will, with emotion, one who speaks and leads and guides and comforts and imparts wisdom. There's so many ways that the Holy Spirit interacts with us that literally we could sit here for the next week and talk about it. I won't make you do that, but we could because it's so beautiful. But I also want to say the Holy Spirit is not the one that's weird. <laughs> We're weird. People are weird, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't look like Casper or the Marley and Marley guys or any of those other weird images that I had up there before. People are weird. And sometimes they have experiences that aren't necessarily good, positive, or right. And they make proclamations about God and his Holy Spirit, and we receive them. Can we admit that? And that's why it's important to say, like, what does this word say about it? What does the Holy Spirit look like? Who is the Holy Spirit from? But I've taken a lot of times those projections from people that in the name of Jesus, somebody comes to me. Or they come to me saying, well, the Spirit revealed to me or the Spirit said to me. And I've had people come with goodness and speak life over me doing that. 
And I've had people come with nothing but blatant lies doing that. Somehow trying to control or manipulate a situation. And I have had to learn to, to discern and not to just receive every hurtful thing. And even sometimes when it is a little hurtful or maybe a lot hurtful, asking the Holy Spirit, is this from you? Is that who you say I am? Is that where my relationship is? And asking. Because if it doesn't match up with what Jesus says about you, then I would say it's not of God. So if come, someone's coming at you with accusations and stuff, hold it. Ask. Huh. Have I done something that I need to ask forgiveness for? Something that maybe I need to repent of? Or is it something that I need to let go <laughs> and just let it slide on by because it's not from you, Father, Son, and Spirit? Because if it doesn't remind us that we are his chosen ones, we are his beloved children, that he loves and delights and sings over us, and yes, sometimes that can mean he convicts us of some things, right? Those things that we allow to come between us and God. Shame is a big one. Honestly, I think it's one of the biggest. That when sin entered this world, that shame was brought into light. And everything that results in sin is from a place of shame. We hate each other, we kill each other, we hurt each other, we talk about each other, we gossip about it. Why? Because we feel shame about something. And if I do that, I somehow cover it. And that's when the Holy Spirit goes, no, that's not how I want you to live. That's not how I want you to behave. And Jesus, if you'll remember in verse 7 of 16 that I just read, he said, that, he said this, he said, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. And other translations in that part there where it says for your benefit, other translations say things like, it is best if I go away. It's for your good if I go away. So that this counselor, this advocate, the spirit, the spirit of truth can come and can indwell and be with you. And I just want to ask the question this morning, do we believe it? Do we believe Jesus when he says that? Do we take him at his word? I get what some of the disciples might have been thinking at that moment. They might have been saying, like, we got you, Jesus. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Why do we need this other one? We'd rather have you here physically, who we can talk to, who we can enjoy, enjoy life with, who we can cry with, who we can, we can walk with. And he says, no, it's better that I go. It's better that I go. And he goes so far as to say, it's actually for your advantage, for your benefit. It's going to be better. And if we would fast forward which we don't do a lot here. That's why we spent a long time in one book. <laughs> but if we would fast forward past the death and resurrection of Jesus into the book of Acts, in Acts 1, in verses 4 and 5, we would hear Jesus telling his disciples to stay and wait in Jerusalem, to stay and wait for the Holy Spirit. And mind you, the disciples, they, they did it. Just so you know, spoiler alert, they stayed. 
Because when someone rises from the dead and tells you what to do, you kind of tend to listen to them. And so they went and they stayed there in Jerusalem and they said, okay, what are we waiting for? <laughs> they had no idea. Jesus had talked about this spirit, but there was no definition of like, oh, and it's going to look exactly like this, so just be prepared. It, they had no idea what they were waiting for. They had no idea what it would be like, but they were expectant because they trusted Jesus. They knew that they had been with him, they had seen him, they had heard him, and they were ready. And then in Acts 2, well, I'll let you read that on your own as well, but they see the fulfillment of this promise in a way that I think must have shaken them to the core. This Ruach blows into the building, and people start talking in all different languages. And it's crazy. And there's flames of fire and all this. Like, I don't know what it looked like, but I can only imagine. What would that have been like? And the fact that the, the, um, Peter says in this time, this amazing promise, that this very same thing that happened to those believers in Acts 2 is available for all of us. To experience that blowing of the Spirit. And if you'll remember... Randy, for um, a couple weeks, he wanted you to remind, remember three words. Does anybody remember what they are? Come on, make them proud. Union with Christ. Union with Christ. And he said it in, verse, in chapter 14, he talked about the fact that Jesus was going to prepare a place. And we often think about what? Heaven in this far off place, right? And what did Randy remind us? But he was actually preparing our spirits, our hearts to receive where we could have what? Union with Christ. This is the Holy Spirit. This is what was being prepared for. He was preparing us to receive the Holy Spirit, to be ready. And that spirit indwells you and it indwells me. And the part of it that I find so fascinating is that Jesus is so central in it. Jesus is so central, and you may ask sometimes around here, you guys talk about Jesus all the time. You're right, and we're probably going to talk about him more than you ever like. I don't know, maybe you want us to, I don't know. We talk about Jesus a lot, because Jesus is so central. And we've, we have often said, and I know I've heard Randy say it just recently in one of his sermons, that if you want to know what the Father looks like, look at who? Jesus. If you want to know who the Spirit is, Look at who? Jesus. Look at Jesus. Because the voice of the Spirit is going to sound like Jesus. And Jesus said in verses 13 to 15 here, let me just read those again real quick. He says, wow. He says here, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take everything from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that, what he, takes from, that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. And I love that. I love those verses that remind us that the Spirit doesn't operate separately. The Spirit is God. This is a beautiful picture of the dance of the Trinity that we talk about here. And it's beautiful. And it looks like Jesus. And I just want to ask you this morning as we close, 
When we read and study these kinds of accounts, is it just more knowledge and more theology that we're looking for? Because you see, I ask because I think if we believe what we read in these accounts and in this book, if we really believe it, our lives are going to look different. We're going to walk differently. We're going to talk differently. We're going to love differently. And so, you know, I often get this question, why don't we see the Holy Spirit move like it did in the early church? In all that beauty, all those things that you just even talked about as the, the Spirit came in Acts 1 and 2, why don't we have that? And often I respond with a question. And the question is this, tell me when was the last time you saw the Spirit at work in and around you? And I mean undeniably the Spirit. That it wasn't just your talent or your gusto or your will, but it, you undeniably have to go, that was God. That was a movement of the Spirit. Take a moment. Think on that. And maybe as you think on that, something came to mind just immediately. And you went, yeah, that was it. That was the time. That was a time recently that the Spirit was at work in my life. And if that happened, I just want to encourage you to praise God for that. To say thank you. That you are alive and awake and alert in my life, Holy Spirit. That I'm not quenching your spirit. I'm not grieving you right now. That I'm seeing you. Praise God for those moments. Be thankful for them. But then also, if you're having trouble recounting a time... I just want to ask you a question. Are you ignoring the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit maybe that one member of the Trinity that we kind of forget and just give nod of recognition to once in a while? But we don't really experience a relationship with him or a relationship with her? Because the reality is, folks, that the early church knew less about the Holy Spirit than most of us in the church today, at least in an intellectual and academic way. The difference, I think, I think the difference is that they came to know the Spirit intimately and powerfully in a relationship. That as the Spirit worked, as she guided, as she led, as he moved them through places of darkness, they re realized there was something at work. Something was going on. The Spirit of God was moving. And they sought to know and understand that more. And so that's not to shame anybody. It's to ask you to reflect. How do I relate to the Holy Spirit? Is it alive in my life? And I just pray this morning, honestly, that we would all have a, met a metanoia moment. Does anybody know what the word metanoia means? What does it mean? What? Repentance? Change? Radical change? Um, I just got to hear an author who had actually wrote a book by the title of Metanoia. And um, he, was, he was calling the church to a place of radical change. 
a place where we're transformed, not unlike a caterpillar who all its caterpillar life crawls around on its belly, (laughs) right? Once in a while goes up and down some plants, but pretty much is in a small dirt area most of its life. And then it goes to sleep and it has the most amazing nap. And those of you, I believe in nap ministry, and the, the butterfly that is about to come out, this caterpillar goes into a nap, and when they wake up, they realize they can fly. No more squishy body on the ground walking around in the dirt, but they can fly. And that would be my prayer this morning, you guys, that as we think about the Holy Spirit, that we would realize that when the Holy Spirit is active in our lives, we can fly. We can do things that are beyond our imagination because the Holy Spirit is at work in and through us. And if you haven't been there for a time, I just pray that you would seek that, that you would seek that from God and that you would realize too that you can fly. And so I just want to quote the last part of the video that we watched. And it said, and so today the spirit is still hovering in dark places. Because the spirit has come, it doesn't mean all darkness is gone. He still hovers in dark places. Yes, he does. And he's pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is this, that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. And I would say, oh, that it would begin afresh today. So can we pray? This, my friends, is the hope that we have. The hope that we have in the spirit. he would finish the job that he who began a good work in you would continue it until it's day of completion and that even now as God is moving by his spirit into dark places that people would be pointed to Jesus and so as we interact with him I pray that the Holy Spirit would be so alive and so awake and so not quenched or ignored or deprived in our lives that if we put them on the back burner we'd move it to the front and we'd let people see the joy and the light that is ours the hope that is in Christ Jesus because the Holy Spirit He looks like Jesus. And so as people interact with you, may they see the Holy Spirit afresh and anew and alive in your life.